God. Are you thankful this morning? We are thankful for that miracle. Amen. I think we ought to sing that one more time. Put that back up there for me. I thank him for the miracle that brought me from the wrong to the right. I'm so thankful he brought me out of darkness and let me walk in the end time light. Not everybody's walking in this light you're walking in. But praise God, we're walking in this light. What a miracle. Amen. Let's sing this together. I thank you for the miracle that brought me from the wrong to the right. revelation of the word that we could say it didn't make us a child of the king but it revealed to us that we always were a child of the king and we thank god for that miracle of the revelation of his word amen good to be in the house of the lord this morning praise the lord what a what an hour to live in what a day what a what a rejoicing you might come here and uh, have burdens on your heart and needs you might come here with questions this morning. Uh, you might have something that you desire an answer to. Uh, you might come here in an unsaved condition and wonder whether God is real and He needs to reveal Himself to you. But I can say all those things God is able to do this morning. And I was thinking about that song. Uh, we won't sing it, but uh, I was thinking about that song, If I Could But Touch the Hem of His Garment. You know, we, we come to church and we have different ideas, different things we've been through in the week, different um, battles, we could say, different trials, different adversities. But then when we come together like this, it's not to learn necessarily, though I trust that you'll learn something. It's not to hear a lecture, though I could certainly point you in the message to where Brother Branham said, I'm just going to lecture this morning. And, uh, and other places where he said, I'm just going to teach this morning. And, but that's not the main purpose. Really, if we have a need, we need to be like the woman with the blood issue. If I could but touch the hem of his garment. Amen. That, that is such a place where we need to be. Let's bow our heads together as we hold our needs before him 
in prayer. And even if you don't think you have a need, you can just say, Lord, you know my needs. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered together this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, by the revealing of the word, we have gathered together with saints of like precious faith. There are licks of fire in this place. There are angels moving amongst your people. Lord, there are realities of life, life-giving resource that have moved, the quickening of the Holy Spirit that's moving within the lives of believers, that's quickening bodies, that's quickening revelation, that's bringing forth powers and demonstrations this morning. We want to yield ourselves to you, Lord, that above everything in this service that you would have the preeminence. That you would glorify your name, that name Jesus Christ, above every name, before which every man and every woman shall bow. And Lord, every tongue shall confess that you are Lord. And Lord, we do that this morning with all of our hearts. We say you are our Lord. And Lord, we have before us some notes. Many, many hours have been in studying your word and waiting on you, but Lord, That's not what we want to get bound up by this morning. We want to get bound up in the bonds of love. We want, Lord, that you would have liberty this morning. Lord, that you'll just take complete control, discerning the needs that are in this place and working out your word, which is spirit and life, to the meeting of each and every need. Bless the service, we pray, as we read your word. May you quicken it to our hearts. May it become a living reality in our lives. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. While we're standing, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. I don't have a missions report for you this morning, though uh, there's much happening. Uh, In Ethiopia, there is another city that is opening up and we'll maybe uh, bring you a report of that in the days ahead. Uh, just seems like many souls are coming in in this one area. And so remember the country of Ethiopia. That is a groundbreaking work still in that country. Uh, the message has never been established there. And uh, until uh, the message went in there about 2013, 2014. And so that's just just fresh. And you know what? We're not leaving here till every predestinated seed has been quickened by this word. And so we're, we're all a part of what God's doing in Ethiopia. And they've had quite a number of baptisms there just in the last couple of weeks. So we're thankful for that. Um, uh, Brother Easton, I heard his name. This must be Brother Easton here. God bless you. Was talking to your pastor not too long ago. Um, you're from Brother Hunter's church. Very good. What's your pastor's first name? Ed. The, is that the young brother or the? Brother David, thank you. Brother David Hunter is now ministering there. But Brother Ed was the original pastor. And uh, I preached there many, many years ago, probably before you were born. And uh, when I was just a young preacher. And uh, so you take our greetings back with you. We appreciate it. We appreciate talk with Brother David, converse with Brother David the other day. He has a real burden for missions. And so we're thankful for that. You take our greetings home with you. Amen. Brother Steve and Sister Lillian, where are you? There you are sitting there. We've got our friends with us from Hudson Hope. Um, they're, um, they're from the north. They're rugged people. And, uh, you know, 
Brother Barry Coffey has a word for that area of the earth. He says you, he says you go till as far as the plane will take you, and then you drive for hours much further than that. And uh, and that's kind of the country that they're from. And they drove all the way down here. I said it took them 16 hours. Did it all in one day yesterday. And so God bless them. May God anoint them with a real strength for today to be in the house of God. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. Our subject is still the day of revealing. I uh, had a real struggle with um, the... Uh, uh, the title this morning, um, so I just called it the day of revealing part three. I might have called it the attribute within the attribute, or if I, I wanted to get real fancy, I might have called it the expression of the essence of the eternal attribute. But that was too much of a mouthful. And uh, so we'll call it the day of revealing part three. <laughs> Amen. Ephesians chapter three and verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now that's quite a statement. To know the love of Christ which is unable to be known, which passes knowledge, and and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now before we take our seats, let's just turn over to the book of James, chapter 1. It's right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation, temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And we're going to jump right down to verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Didn't get too many men's on that. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Amen. The Lord has blessing to the word. You may be seated. Blessed is the man that endureth or takes patiently temptation. The word endure there is, comes from the word patience. And he says, 
When you're going through things, when you're being tempted, and, and of course he goes further to say temptation is not, a, God does not tempt you. He says, but you endure temptation because of your flesh. You endure temptation because of your spirit or your lusts or, or, or different things. In other words, there are aspects of your life that put you into situations that you wish you weren't in. But when you find yourself in those situations, endure them patiently because they have a purpose. You know, the, the, in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes it this way. He says, uh, rejoicing in hope. He's talking about attributes of a Christian. They're rejoicing in hope. He says they're patient in tribulation, patient in enduring tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. So that's the nature of a believer. That's somebody that's really following the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone that has been quickened by the word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the description of love. He says love beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. And endureth all things. Alright, so when divine love is on the scene or when love has been deposited in your heart by the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is love, then you're able to endure all things. Because as I started out saying, you have a nature in the natural that's going to put you into situations that you don't like. You might as well say amen to it. We've all been through it. If you haven't been through it, then you're probably less than six years old. But we've all been through situations where we were just uncomfortable. Where, where we just realize this really grates against me. But then we look at other people and let's say it doesn't seem to bother them. But it bothers me. And there's even things amongst believers that we can say, you know, it might bother one person, but to another person it's water off a duck's back, so to speak. And so there's different situations that we find ourselves in that the Apostle James is saying here, now blessed is the man that endures temptation because when he is tried, or in other words, after he's gone through it, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love Him. Alright, now, let me go to the message, Uniting Time and Sign, in 1963. And I, I often think of this quote, and I've thought a lot of it lately, as I get a little bit older. Brother Branham says, One of the horriblest things to see is a man or a woman that's constantly complaining. Okay, the, there's a few amens there. He says, I've always thought, God, keep me away from it. Amen. He says, see, that weakens faith all the time. Oh, my. So he starts out talking about complaining. He says, keep me away from it because it weakens faith all the time. He says, I know as they get older, each one of us, we're going to get something happen and something happen. So he's talking about a repetition of things. He says, and I know these little things are going to keep accumulating. That's as you get older. They just got to. But I think one of the most horrible things is for Satan to crown some person's life. 
So we read about the crown of God or the crown of life that is in store for those that love him. But now he says Satan also has a crown. Okay. And he says one of the most horrible things is for Satan to crown some person's life a crabbed old man or old woman. You see, I hope I don't get to that place. I hope I can bear it as my burdens and get to a spot where, and then he pauses, he says, I want my life crowned with the glory of God. His long-suffering, gentleness, peace, meekness, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. I think that we all as believers could identify with that. I remember being a young believer. And uh, I know there's there's no old people like this. But I'll just describe it. Being a young believer. Uh, being new in the message of the hour. Having come out of the Pentecostal denomination. And 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 uh, having understood God in that light or that form of understanding and then coming into the glorious light of the message it was all just so fresh and so wonderful and so marvelous and and revelation upon revelation was being opened up and I was just reveling in it and rejoicing in it but then as time went on I come across once in a while I'll call it this, an old crabbed believer. That it seemed like the joy of their salvation had left them. It seems like all that they could see was the hinder parts of the move of God. And that everything that they looked at, there was something to complain about. Now, my mother, God rest her soul, was that kind of a woman. I remember coming home as a young person being in church... Uh, very much touched by what the preacher had preached. It wasn't even in the light of the message. But I was a young person and I was, I, I, the preacher had said something that had moved me. And, and I thought, you know, oh my, and I come home from church and, and, and told my mom, who also claimed to be a believer, you know, uh, because it was a different church than my parents were attending. I had gone to a different church for some meetings and, and she said, well, who was the speaker? And I told her who the speaker was. She says, oh, she says, I know about him. And oh, I know what he did back here. I know. And pretty soon my joy was pretty deflated. Because now someone tried to heap on me something that was their own complex. That was their own burden. That was their own idea. And robbed from me my joy. Well, as little as it was and as little revelation as it was, but I was enthused. And I was just a young, young Christian and in my teenage years. But now all of a sudden somebody said something that robbed me away from it. No wonder Brother Branham says, when I get to be an old person, don't let me be that kind of an old person. Let me be the kind of a person that uh, that's just full of the love and the meekness and the joy and the long-suffering and all those things. When I see God doing something for somebody else, I say, Lord, bless him even more. Lord, pour out abundance upon abundance upon that person. Lord, open yourself up to them in a greater way. Establish them in the word. And in the apostle Paul, as we read it in, in Ephesians chapter 3, how that he described it there. And he says, this is the reason that I go on my knees. Amen. 
This is the reason that I pray. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you may be able to comprehend what is, with all saints the length and the breadth and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes all understanding. And I can honestly say that tonight as a believer... As a preacher, as someone that has been in the Word uh, constantly for the last few days, just trying to lay a hold of this very thought, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of everything of the love of God, I thought, oh, Lord, just pour it in this morning. Lord, just bring it into the people's lives that they may know that, it, that there might be something can consume them because actually it's past knowledge. But once you come into the knowledge, there's something inside that drives you that says there's more to know. There's more to be had. There's more that I must be partaker of. There's more of his likeness. There's more of his image. Like the sister that says, you know, I may not be what I ought to be, but I know one thing, I'm not what I used to be. There's something that's driven me from that and I'm moving on towards something. As the Apostle Paul says, I'm laying aside the things that are in the past. I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize, for the crown. I want to be crowned for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Amen. Is that your desire this morning? I'll be honest with you. I said to a brother the other day, it was another minister. So I hope this doesn't offend you. If it does, well, that's all right too. But I said, you know what? I says, I'm done with cranky old preachers. (laughs) That's kind of a hard statement, isn't it? I'm thankful we don't have a cranky old preacher for a pastor. That just wants to stand in the pulpit and says, well, this is wrong over here and that's wrong over there. And, and that people understand this wrong and that's wrong. And, you know, I'm going to tell you what's right and everybody else is wrong. I'm glad we don't have that kind of a pastor. Amen. I'm done with cranky old preachers. I want to know the truth of the gospel. I want to know the depth and the height and the breadth and everything there is to know about the love of God. I want to pass knowledge. I want to pass human understanding. I want to move up in the revelation of God so high that there's nothing on this earth that can bother me. I want the crown to be a crown of the Holy Spirit. I want the crown to be the joy of the Lord. I want the crown to be day by day, no matter what happens or comes by my way. I know he's in charge. That's the kind of crown that I want in my life to realize that Everything has a purpose. I I don't want to go through life. Forgive me for just dwelling on this for a moment as we start. I don't want to go through life thinking everything's bad. I don't even want to go through life thinking the bad things are bad. Uh, And we've all had bad things happen to us, and I've had my share. But in all of that, I want to say, but there's a purpose of God in it somewhere. All things work together for good. To those who are the called according to his purpose. Those who love him. Amen. For there's a crown for those who love him. To be without revelation of what life is all about is not where I want to be. I want to be filled with the revelation of what this life is about. Amen. You know, Jesus speaking to the churches in Revelation 3, he says... 
because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. We're right at that point right now. He says, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So don't let anybody take your crown. Don't let anybody take the promise that God has for you uh, of the, the fruit and the manifestation and the stature of a perfect man and all of those things for your life. Don't let anybody steal it from you. Don't let anybody take it away from you. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, the apostle Paul, he says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. So he's saying now, when you're running this race, run it that you may obtain the prize. Identify what the crown is. I'm going to come into more details about this, but identify what the crown is. Identify that there is a purpose in your life. The purpose is not to end up cranky. The purpose is not to end up miserable. You may go through miserable things. You may go through things that are hard to bear and burdens, but the purpose of them is not to leave you cranky. There is a purpose that God has in all of it to bring you to a state of overcoming because you are an attribute. And God has a manifestation in you that he is bringing to fulfill fulfillment. And Paul goes on, he says, every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, you can't partake of everything. I'll say it this way. You can't listen to everything. You can't feed on everything. You can't feed on the vileness of the world. And be uh, running the race to win. Hello? You know what? I, I raised eight children. I'm on my ninth. And... Uh, Children love to play games. Come on, let's, let's not be over spiritual here. <laughs> Children love to play games. So many times, I hope this doesn't stumble you, but I would sit down and play games with them. Now we weren't into card games. I wouldn't, li- I don't like card games, but, uh, Brother Bram didn't like card games and so all of that, I tried to keep that away from my children. But I, I would sit down with them, we'd play different games. There's not one of my children nor me that played the game to lose. I don't know what you're like, but nobody in my family ever played to lose. There's some of my daughters back there. You can ask them. Even now, when we sit down and play a Scrabble game or something, they're out to beat dad at all costs. Because that's in them. But if that's so in just a game, what about life? We're not in life to lose. You're not in life to lose. There's something that God has called you to be. There's, there's actually something that has de- been deposited within you. And he's waiting for you to obtain the crown of life. Let me say it this way. He has put life in you. But can you, as Brother Bradham says, either by striving or by giving, can you get to a place where that crown becomes on manifestation and is yours? Or are you just playing the game just to play it? Are you just playing at life? Just whatever will be, will be. Just, oh, well, you know, 
I'm just, I'm just here. Let me tell you something. Education won't take you there. Education's all right in its place. Uh, 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 business won't take you there. Money, a big bank account won't take you there. Though in themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil. And so all of those things we, we find in this world that attract our attention and make us distracted and, and we're trying to, to uh, move in this earthly sphere. But I'll just say there's more within you than what this world can bring out of you. That only the revelation of the world can bring out of you. Revelation chapter 2, it says, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. He's speaking to that church age. And I will give you a crown of life. So it's not without a purpose. You're not dying for no reason, just to be a martyr. No, there's a prize to be had. Brother Branham goes into it in the Smyrnian church age. He says, Jesus calls it a crown of life. He says, the one crown is for those who have striven. The others are for, is for those who have given. And I, I don't have time to go into those two words. He says, both crowns are incorruptible. They will not perish. The winners of the worldly race of life. He's talking about sports and that kind of things. He says, will soon lose the joy of the plaudits of the world. You know, who is the fastest 100-meter runner? Who holds the world record? I don't know the guy's name. I think he's, I think he's the tall guy. And thank you. You're saying, well, you all know who he is. All right. But if time goes on, somebody will beat his record. And then where's his plaudits? Where's his great accomplishment? Somebody else. Be, records are made to be broken. The most uh, goals in a, in a hockey season. I remember when I was a teenager watching them break the record year after year after year. Used to be, um, some of you old timers, you may not even know the name if you're an old timer. Henry Richard. That was the big name way back then. Brother Milky, you don't have to show your age by raising your hand. Um, and so, you know, it's, he was the record holder. But then along came a man by the name of Mike Bossy. He broke the He was the first to break record. That was amazing. Then along came Gretzky. And along came Lemieux. And along came this one. Along came that one. Along came this one. Along came, and pretty soon, you know, everybody was breaking the record. And who was Henry Richard anymore? He was just some guy that only scored 50 goals. You see what I'm saying? The earthly race is made to be broken. But let me say this. In you is something that is unique in the mind of God. A part of God that He has only deposited in you. And I'll say it this way. Nobody can take away that crown of life if you obtain it. Nobody can take your place. There is a place that God has called you uniquely to. It doesn't matter who you are. God has uniquely called you a place to influence the kingdom of God as only you can influence. And it's up to you to obtain that crown of life. He says, their glory will fail, but those who give their lives for God, either by daily striving or shedding their blood as the crowning sacrifice of their lives, will be given the crown of life. And we, so we hear that statement, but then, it, then the very next statement Brother Branham makes, 
All too little time is spent on laboring for the eternal rewards of God. He says the recompense of God is too lightly esteemed. Amen, amen, and amen. The recompense of God is too lightly esteemed. I've had something going through my mind. It doesn't really matter what goes through my mind. I've had a thought. But, you know, and my thought is this. I'm amazed as I look at certain individuals, whether it be people that are related to me or people that are out there in the world that live their life, that do things as though there is no God. I, I just amazed. I, they, they think there's no God. They think there's no consequences. They, they make decisions as though it doesn't matter. It all matters. But, you know, even Cain, back in the beginning, God spoke to him personally. I've shown you by your brother Abel what is accepted. If you do that which is right, you will be accepted. You don't even have to have a revelation. You've seen the vindication. And by seeing the vindication, you know what is right to do. And so Cain goes and talks to Abel. They get into maybe an argument or something. And Cain rises up and kills Abel. He just talked to God. He just talked to God. And now God it comes down and says, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain's, uh, you know, oh, well, I didn't know I'd have to deal with this. No, there is a God. And actions have consequences. And the decisions you make have consequences. And I'm not trying to heap burdens on you, those that are in the middle of making decisions. But I'll say there's a right decision and God will lead you to the right decision. If you'll allow him and yield yourself to him. God came to Cain and said, here's the decision you need to make. Here's the sacrifice you need to do. Here's exactly how I want to be worshipped. Exactly. Just look at Abel and take the example. But Cain was too proud. And murder was in his heart. Because there was no representation. And Satan crowned his life. And you'll follow down his lineage. His lineage is a lineage of bitterness. Oh, you know, what was me and what was the man's name? Lamech or something. And, you know, if Cain slew a man and God put a mark on him so he won't die, I killed a man and this happened. And now God, you can't slay me because God didn't slay Cain. And he tried to make his own defense. Just bitterness upon bitterness upon bitterness. Why? Because we don't want to go down that road. We don't want to be that kind of an individual. But God has called us to something greater. And He's deposited it within you if you're willing to run this race. And the joy of walking in the light of the hour. And you can tell I'm not really paying attention to my notes because I have way too many notes anyway. But the joy of walking in this hour and walking under the light of what God has given. And I'm trying to, to, I want to come to the place this morning that you can realize there's nothing more important in my life than the revelation of this hour that I have been called to live in. And all of my efforts and all of my, my uh, time, all of my energy, all of my strength, Needs to be focused on that. Yes, I have to give some strength to my job. Yes, I have to give some strength to my education. Yes, I have to. But but really the purpose of my strength is to focus on this race that God has called me to run. Because at the end of this race, there is a prize. And I don't want to be one of those that Brother Brown is speaking of here that says, 
the recompense of God is too lightly esteemed. I don't want to be at the end of the road and say, you know what? I didn't pay attention enough to what God told me. That would be a bad place to be. Amen? I don't want to be there at the end of the road. I want to say, oh God, let me esteem what you've given to me in the light of this hour at the right level that I need to esteem it. Someone asked me after Wednesday night service, are you saying that outside of this message nobody can be saved? And I said, well, that's not really the point I was trying to get across. I said, the point I'm trying to get across is I know in this message you can be saved. Outside of it, I don't know. I don't know of any revelation out there. I don't know of anything out there that I would want to trust. But I'll tell you one thing. The revelation that has come in this hour. I know there's salvation in this message. Amen. I know there's more than salvation. I know there's a bringing of the redemptive purpose of God to its full completion that has come in this message. Amen. As for salvation, salvations of the Lord. That's for people that are out there in the world and, and not walking in the light of this message. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to go that route and hope that maybe at the end of the road, at the white throne judgment, somewhere I might get eternal life. I don't want to be a hope so. I want to be a no so. Amen. I want to know that my Redeemer lives. I want to be like Job. And though the skin worms destroy this flesh, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Amen. I want to walk in that kind of a light. Amen. Brother Brown says, if we believe in the reality of the resurrection, same quote, of the resurrection of the body. How many believe in that? All right. And an eternal kingdom of substance. How many believe in that? All right. Then we ought to lay up in heaven those good treasures that are available to the faithful saints. Well, that was a lot lower of an amen. We ought to lay up in heaven the good treasures that are available. Now think of those. These words are powerful. That's why I say I spent hours and hours and hours just dissecting these words, just pondering them, just wanting to esteem them for what they're worth. They're available. That begs the question, how are they available? And who are they available to? And what do I need to do to get a hold of them? So then I have to start to begin to search out, not to Brother Tim, but to God himself. Lord, show me what's available to me. Amen. Show me what I have access to. Take me to the place where I have full access to everything that you have called me to possess. Amen. As I spoke about authority on Wednesday night, I was was explaining how that uh, when you're born again, you have all rights, but you don't have all authority. When you're born again, that's just the beginning. That's just a babe in Christ. And you have all rights. You could say, uh, uh, you're absolutely a son. And you have all right, all rights to everything as a son. And that's true. But you don't have all authority. Authority is given. Authority is revealed to you. 
Authority is something that is obtained in maturity. It's just like a human being that grows up. You, when you're born again, your, your potential, when you're born in the United States, I'm not an American, but in the United States they have, I think it's called the Bill of Rights or something, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And every, they believe every human being has inalienable rights as an American citizen. But they also have a law that you can't drive till you're 16. Or maybe 14 in some states. That's the law. Say, well, I have a right to drive. I'm three years old. Give me the keys. to I have inalienable rights that were given to me by a higher power. And you can't stop me. No, we're going to stop you. Because you're not mature enough to handle a vehicle yet. You're going to get somebody killed or even get yourself killed. You can't handle the things which are yours. But when you become mature enough, we will give you the opportunity to possess those things. Amen. And it's the same way in a believer. God birthed you by his word, but he's got to mature you. He's got to be able to show you the length and the depth and the breadth and the height and all that which passes understanding of the knowledge of the love of God and bring you to a place that you're totally surrendered to him. Then he'll give you all that which is yours. Amen. Paul says in Second Timothy 4, you still with me? All right, I think I've laid that foundation uh, smooth enough, or at least fully, fully enough. He says, I'm ready now to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now, here's the Apostle Paul himself. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. You have the same potentials as Paul for the rewards of service. Last year, I think it was about May or June, I preached a a message called Christ is the Mystery of Love Revealed. In it, there's, there's lots of thoughts on the love of God and and I, I I dealt with the understanding largely and how that Israel couldn't understand God's love. They thought love was like parental love. Brother Adam goes into it in the church age book page one sixteen if you want to read it. And he and he says he's talking about their tribulation, their suffering. He says, I know your tribulation. I'm not unmindful of your suffering. But then he says, what a stumbling block this is to so many people. Like Israel, they wonder if God really loves them. How can God be just and loving if he stands by and watches his people suffer? All right. This is an age-old question. This is, this is a Laodicean question especially. Because people don't want to suffer. If you got a good God, why does this happen? Or why does that happen? And they don't understand the purpose of suffering. And so uh, then he goes to Malachi chapter 1, which is, of course, the last prophetic book of the Old Testament. And right at the beginning of the book, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And the first words are, I have loved you. This is the burden of the word. I have loved you. And then... And he, and he goes on and says, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Or in other words, 
show us that you love us. Show us that you really mean what you're talking about in a way that we can understand it. And now I want to say this to start. God is not bringing his love down to your understanding, but he's bringing your understanding up to his love. If you can catch that, that's the purpose of what God's doing in your life. He's not trying to bring his love down to some human level, but rather taking you as a predestinated, divinely ordained attribute of God and bringing you to the place where you can fellowship with him on his level. All right. Brother Bram says, you see, they could not figure out God's love. They thought that love meant no suffering. They still think that today in many places. They thought that love meant a baby with parental care. But God said his love was elective. And the proof of his love is election. That no matter what happened, his love was proven by the fact they were chosen unto salvation. All right, I'm going to go back here. They thought it was parental care. Now Jesus, somebody read this the other day. I think it was might have been Brother Murphy. Jesus was asked a question, and I know you're listening very closely. And the question was this, as a lawyer asked him, and they says, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And you know the scripture. And Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, And with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he says, the second is like it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We won't go back to the Old Testament to rehearse these. But Jesus said, take these two commandments. Number one, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says these words. On these two commandments hang all, all, all the law and the prophets. On these two things is the hinge point. On these two commandments is the basis of all the law and the prophets. Well, I thought the law proved that nobody was sufficient in themselves. Nobody could live the word by themselves. I thought... The law put us in jail. And the prophets was God's judgment to carry out his justice. How could the law and the prophets be hung on God's love? I'm glad you're quiet. Because it it presents to us, I'll call it a dilemma. It's the dilemma of sonship. It's a dilemma of what it really means to be included in God's love. Now let's go back to the Garden of Eden. God's first son, his first created son, was Adam. Now Adam was made in such a way that he he was created in a form that would ensure that he would fall. I knew that would stir you up a little bit. 
Adam, God's first son, as he made Adam, he was made male and female. He was made in the image of God. He was perfect. Okay? But there had to be an ingredient added that would allow a fall. All right? And that was when Adam, as a reflection of God, now he's reflecting God, and he's looking over all of creation, and the Bible says there's no helpmate found for him. There's no one there to whom he could love, or to whom he could give his love. And so he, he could talk to the serpent. He could have conversations with the serpent. He could, he could run with the cheetah. He could, he could climb with the monkey. He could, he could ride the elephant. He could do all kinds of fun things that a man would love to do. I imagine brother Steve, you've thought of this, uh, what it'd be like to be, cause he's a real outdoorsman and what it'd be like to be there in the garden of Eden with all this animal life and everything and enjoy that kind of fellowship. But still he was alone. And so he, he was not able to find fellowship on the level of his own understanding. On the level of his own love. And so God put him to sleep and made Eve. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some things here and I, I don't believe it'll stumble you, but I want you to just give me your grace this morning. And I, cause I'm gonna treat God as a father here. As he's got a son. And there is his son whom he has communion with. God and, and Adam. But Adam is not satisfied because he's like God. He's got something in him that needs to come into expression. And so there, for, for an expression, God puts Adam to sleep and takes a rib out of him and takes the feminist part of his spirit and makes a body, a byproduct, Brother Branham calls it, and makes her in such a way that he knows she's going to fall. Come on. God is God. He knows all things. And so seeing this woman that's going to fall, here's a father. He says, this woman is going to take my son from me. Come on. This woman is going to take my son to places that are hard to be in. This woman is going to take my son and cause him to to make a decision between all of perfect creation and her. But it has to be that way in order for love to be manifested the way it's meant to be manifested. Because in order for love to be manifested, there has to be something that only love can overcome. Because Adam had everything else except love. Adam had everything else except the expression of love in a wife. And so as he was there in the Garden of Eden, he could be the Lord, the God of it all. But now in order to bring Eve back to himself, he had to realize his love for her was greater than everything else that he had. And furthermore, I'll go further. Now this is getting very deep into the thoughts of God. I'll tell you what, there there were times that I've thought of this that my mind, the gears of my mind just begin to burn up. And and just smoke would come out of my ears if it was possible. But as I thought about this and how God looked at that. As a father knowing what's going to happen. But also knowing. Also knowing. If this bad thing doesn't happen. I can never express myself as a savior. 
If this bad thing doesn't happen, I cannot express that I am a healer. Hallelujah. The love of God. It goes beyond him because Israel thought love was apparent with a baby. Nobody's going to suffer. I'm going to watch over the baby. No, God steps back and says, I have to let you suffer so that I can reveal myself to you as a savior. So I can reveal myself to you as your healer. I can reveal myself to you as your provider, your deliverer. I'm everything that you have need of. I must let the evil happen. Mercy. That's the love of God. God had to let his son fall into sin. Not, not deceived. He was not deceived. But his love for Eve, like God's love for Adam, was so great that it would project a redemption towards Eve. And Adam would leave eternity and he would leave that eternal life and that fellowship with God that he had in order to take his wife back. But God knew it was for a purpose. Hallelujah. The evil was for a purpose. The thing that was going to happen was for a purpose. God saw it every step of the way. There had to be a lamb expressed. There had to be a foretelling of the woman's seed. There had to be something because I, God speaking, I will have another son. And he will bring even a greater victory. But in order for that great victory to happen, something evil has to happen again. I must allow him to go to Calvary. I must put him into the hands of wicked men. I must allow evil to take place. He must be, he must be striped. He must be whipped until he's losing his life's blood. He must be hung on the cross until his very heart breaks. He must be, he must be stabbed in the side to show water and blood come out, showing that the very heart was broken, but that life of that blood was released to bring the great redemption story. What was it? It was the love that God had in his mind. Oh, Lord, help me. It's more than just, oh, I love, I got a little boy. I don't want to see him hurt. Oh, I love Gideon. I hate to see when he cries. Don't you hate it when the babies cry? When the little toddlers, they fall down, they bang themselves, fell down the other day, fell into the corner of something, got a little bump on his head. Happens all the time, right? But you hate to see it. But it's a necessary part of life. There's always the first time parents can relate, you parents with children can relate to this. There's always the first time they burn their finger. It seems unavoidable. No matter how much you tell them what hot is, don't touch it. Don't go near it. There's always a time. And then they're crying because they got a burnt finger, right? Or something. But it had to happen. It's something that had to be there to impart some knowledge. So there were conditions that were necessary for God to express himself the way that he wanted to express himself. There had to be a Lucifer. There had to be a fall in heaven. There had to be a woman taken out of man that was able to be deceived. And she had to be more valuable to Adam than the perfection of eternal life. There's love. 
more valuable than the perfection of eternal life. And so for love, for that love that was in Adam, created in Adam to truly be displayed, she had to do something that only love could overcome. Let's be real. She committed adultery. Hello? She fell with another being in sexual sin. I'm sure that broke Adam's heart. And only love could overcome that. Only love could redeem her back. Not intellect, not doctrine, not understanding, but love brought her back to Adam. Brother Brown says, in Christ the mystery of God revealed. He says, maybe I'll just leave that there. We'll carry on here. Now, why didn't he just keep Adam and Eve like that? Then he never, then he would have never been able to express his fullness, his full attribute. He could have been a father there, that's true, but also he's a savior. You say, how do you know he was? He is because I've had that experience. Amen. How many have had that experience? You know that he's a savior. Well, if Adam and Eve didn't fall in the garden, you'd never know he was a savior. All right. And he could express that. And how could he do it? Only through Christ. How could he be a son? Only through Christ. How could he be a healer? Only through Christ. See, all things are wound up in the person of Jesus Christ. So the second Adam had to come on the scene to be sacrificed, to bring God's love to the full effect of redemption. All right. Brother Bram says an unveiling of God. He says, like the attribute, it is in God. An attribute is your thought. God in the beginning, the eternal. He wasn't even God. He was the eternal. He, he, he wasn't even God. God's an object of worship or something. He said he wasn't even that. He was Elohim, the eternal. But in him was thoughts. Now I gotta lay this in. You might say, Brother Tim, you're being repetitive. No, I gotta lay this in for you this morning. He says he wanted to become material. And what did he do? Then he spoke a word. And the word was materialized in the whole picture. That's the whole picture from Genesis to Revelation. Then he says, there's nothing wrong. Those three words are tough to swallow. There's nothing wrong. It's Elohim materializing so he can be touched. And in the millennium, there's Elohim sitting on the throne. With all his subjects around him that he predestinated before the foundation of the world. See, it's so hard for us to wrap our mind around that. There's nothing wrong. There has to be the evil to bring the expression of the attribute. There's nothing wrong. Everything has its place. Evil had a beginning. It'll have an ending. Amen. But that which is eternal will go on forever. He says, he says, like a man building chimes or making chimes, the molder. Every, each bell's got to ring, got to ring something different from the other. The same materials, but so much iron, so much steel, so much brass to make it give the ting. He says, that's the way God did. He bred this one to that one, this one to that one, to this one and to that one, till he got exactly what he wanted. That's how he come down. He unveiled himself in a pillar of fire through the prophets, then into the Son of God, which he was God. 
He's the same God bringing out exactly from perfection to perfection, from glory to glory. He says, that's the way the church goes. And so, you know, Brother Branham's just succinctly saying this, but now I could go back in your life individually and say, why did I come from such a family? Why did I have such a father? Why did I have such a mother? Hello, am I alone on that? Well, why did I have to go through things as a child? Why wasn't I raised in the message? Or, or, or someone that's raised in the message says, why wasn't I raised in the world? You know, everybody's got a question. Well, well, why did this happen to me? Brother Bram says, there's nothing wrong. God's watched over your lineage. God's watched over your culture. God's watched over your past. God's watched over everything because he wants to bring a certain ting or a certain resonance out of your life. There's a certain frequency or specific something that he's trying to get. He doesn't want you to be flat or sharp. He wants you to be exactly the right sound for your life or your part of the body of Jesus Christ. Because nobody can replace you. Nobody can break your record. Nobody can take your crown. You alone can obtain the crown that is predestinated for your life. Hallelujah. Those of you that, that came through a, a terrible life, uh, I know he wouldn't mind me saying though, so because Brother Milko's testimony is I was a bad boy. All right? That was his life. Yeah, I, I let him share any details he wants to share. But he might look back at his life and say, you know, I was a bad boy. Why didn't I hear the message back there? Why didn't God save me from those kind of things? There's a purpose. He's got a certain sound he wants to bring out of your life. There's a certain, we could say, ministry for each and every one of you because every part ministers to the entire body. And God is the one that's in control of it. Are you with me so far? All right. So we could, we could go back and we could look at, at, at Lot. And, and, and God had something useful in Lot. Because he was going to bring something into the lineage of the Messiah. You know, there was, we could say, God said to Abraham, go out of Ur, and Lot tagged along with him. And, and you know, uh, uh, he, Abraham, you know, had to separate himself entirely from Lot before God could show him the revelation of what his position was. But God had something for Lot. We could even say the evilness of it, that his entire lineage was born of incest. As Lot had had children by his own daughters. And then it become, was it Moab and Ammon? And, and, and they become nations. And all of that grows up. But somewhere down the road, there's a famine in Israel that drives a family into Moab. And says, well, the economics is better over here, so we'll move for the economics. Not a good reason to move, but that's what they moved. They got out of the promised land. And so as a result, they paid for it in that they, they, they lost the father and the two sons. But out of that, there, there was Ruth and there was Orpah. And Orpah went back to her family. But Ruth says, I've seen enough of this God that I know that this God will be my God. And this people will be my people. And where you go, I'll go. And where you live, I'll live. And if you suffer, I suffer. I'm with you the entire step of the way. There's a purpose in my life that I have become to realize that is greater than what I was born in Moab. See, she began to catch a revelation. There's something in these unusual events of my life. 
Now we could go through everybody's life here and, and talk about the unusual events of your life. Different things that happen to you that never happened to anybody else. So they're unusual. What is a normal life? Is there any such thing as a normal life, Dan? I don't think so. Yours is different from yours, which is different from yours, which is different from mine. Everybody has their own dealing. Aren't you glad we serve a personal God? One that's interested in you personally? That knows what your life is all about? That can look down in your soul and see the predestination of your soul and see what it was intended to be? And then give you a desire? Give you a yearning for something and you don't know what it is? Because there's something in your soul that's crying out for a crown. There's something in your soul that's saying, I must win. I must prevail. And that's what was in Ruth. She was in the mind of God that she would be a part of the lineage through which would come the vessels for the Messiah. Hallelujah. How God could use Ruth. How God could use Rahab. How God could use Tamar. All of these things. What is it? God is doing something very specifically. We can look at the individual events of their lives and say, oh, that was bad. That was hard. That was evil. That was really rough. I don't know how they endured that. But it had to be to bring something out of them. All right. You still with me? All right. Brother Brown said, Adam so loved Eve that he went out with her. Christ so loved the church that he went with her. God so loved the world. Adam went with Eve and her wrong. She was wrong. He knowed the wrong. He was innocent, but she was guilty. But Adam said, I'll go with her. And Christ looked at the church knowing it was wrong. Yet Christ went with us to take our place yonder as a sinner. To die for us. To take the sting out of death for us. And then he says, sinner, how can you reject such matchless love? This is the place we want to be in. Brother Bram says another place says, when you find unbelief, it's accompanied by hatred. But if you find faith, it's accompanied by love. For love creates faith. And without faith, you can't have love. Hmm. The attribute within the attribute. In the message Christ the mystery of God revealed, Brother Brandon talks about Paul, as he quotes of himself, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul, a prisoner. You know, there's something about the word prisoner that's not really attractive. Amen? It means I had my rights taken away. It means I'm limited in my ability to uh, be free. My freedoms have been removed. That's that's the the connotation that we um, imply to that word. But it, it's actually much deeper and richer than that. And and the, he says about Paul. Listen now, 
It says, he was taught by Gamaliel to be a great priest or rabbi someday. He had high ambitions. He was intellectually a great man. Great authority, great man in the nation. All right. Now put your ambitions there. Intellectually. Some of you have great intellect. Okay, I'm the only one. Some of you have great physical prowess. Especially becomes prevalent in young men. You know, whether it be hockey players, football players, basketball players, sports. I used to, my, I miss those days when I was 18, 19. Nothing could stop me. I could run like the wind and never stop. Just go, go forever. Just seems like uh, just there was no stopping. Take a break and run some more. My, those days are long gone. <laughs> ambitions. Ambitions to be this or ambitions to be that. Maybe you get into business and you have ambitions to make some money. Amb- ambitions to be a, a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett or ambitions to be uh, some kind of great uh, tech savvy great person or some kind of, of other uh, great maybe oil man or something like that. Great ambitions. Paul had great ambitions. How did he come by those ambitions? He was educated by Gamaliel. All right. So Paul had potentials. And Gamaliel, the teacher, took his potentials and molded it to the law. And so Paul became a prisoner to the law. He became molded to the law. He became, uh, he became subject to an idea that was not entirely truth. It had some truth in it, but it was not entirely the truth. I heard a statement this week. It says, people don't have ideas, ideas have people. So he, he let an idea take hold of him. That's the way it is in our age. There's such a prevalence of communication. Uh, if I would speak to the young people, an idea wants to take a hold of you. It wants to run your life. It wants to mold you into a certain image. You, whether you go to college, whether you read, whether you watch some video, whatever it might be, you might get it, start leaning in a certain direction. And Satan wants to push you into the bondage of that idea. And the apostle Paul was actually already in bondage to the idea that this church, so-called, of Jesus Christ, who was a heretic, is is blaspheming and they all need to be put to death. That was Paul's idea. And he had been molded into that idea by the great potentials that he had. But then Brother Branham says, but he had to sacrifice every bit of it. All right, now let me talk about every bit of it. He not just had to add Jesus to his life. He had to sacrifice every bit of it. He had to sacrifice his allegiance to Israel as a nation. He had to sacrifice, come on Americans. <clears throat> he had to sacrifice every idea of him as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Of his group of associates of which he was a man greatly respected. He had to sacrifice that. Well, you say, oh brother Tim, why did he do, listen, God had to do the same thing for Job. 
Even though Job didn't have to maybe sacrifice it on his own, but God had to come down and say, all right, I'm taking this out of your life, and I'm taking that out of your life. I'm taking everything out of your life, except I'll leave your wife because she's a little bit caustic and she'll do you some good. But I'll take it all away from you. Everything that Job had that made him respected. Come on, folks. He had obtained. He had arrived. He was, he was respected amongst the elite of the earth. People would come and the young men would bow themselves in his presence. The old men would seek his wisdom. Everybody would recognize if there was a decision to make, Job could give you some advice because Job always made the right decision. And God says, I'm going to take it all away from you, Job, because there's still something in you that is not yet manifested. And I see it in you, but you don't know it. You only know it as a question. You know, when a tree dies, it comes back in the spring. You know, when a flower goes down, it comes back. You know, how how is it that this nature... But when a man dies, is he gone forever? See, there's a question beginning to manifest itself. But what that question is, is actually a predestinated seed gene that's striving for the crown of life. Because there's something, Job, more that God has for you. There's a greater reward by a greater revelation. And I'm going to bring you into that revelation. But in order for that great revelation to happen, evil must take place first. And i got to pull the rug out from underneath you of what everything that you've been able to build up by your natural ability that I gave you. This isn't easy this morning, is it? And there was the Apostle Paul. Listen, folks, what do you want? Do you want the potentials of your natural ability or do you want the potentials of your seed gene? You have to make a decision. Which potentials do you want in your life? You might be smart. You might be organized. You might have a personality. You might be gifted. You might have all these things. And that will take you places in this world and allow you to accomplish things. And that seed you'll be laying there. But that's not the crown of life. Well, I'm here. I might as well finish it. Praise the Lord. He had to sacrifice every bit of it to become part of the word to express Jesus Christ. What do you want to be a part of? Do you want to just be a part of a church? Do you want to just be a part of a nation? Do you want to be part of a, a, a certain profession? Or do you want to be a part of the word? Is there something in you telling you, I'm a part of the word? And it's driving you. He says he knowed what it was to say. He had a notion to go to some place. Some brethren had called him. But he was forbidden by the Spirit to do his own will. He says, oh, if people have spiritual can pick that up. He was forbidden to do his own will. He only could do. He says, the Spirit forbid me. He was a prisoner to Christ. All right, so now I, I've got to bring that expression because we still we still have that negative idea of prisoner. Sorry that I preach different than other people do. It's just my nature. But, you know, Paul had this idea. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Brother Brennan is bringing out in Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But you actually know what he was a prisoner to? He's a prisoner to what you're a prisoner to. That's a seed gene. In him 
was an expression to be an apostle. In him was an expression, was an attribute to be a prophet to the Gentiles. In him was an attribute to raise up churches. In him was an attribute to further the kingdom of God. In him was an attribute to lay down the pattern for every minister that would come through the seven church ages. In that man was this attribute. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He wasn't just a great mind. He wasn't just a man with intellect. He just wasn't just a man with zeal. No, there were attributes in him that God says, I'm going to take him and he's going to suffer, but I'm going to use him. I'm going to bring out from within him that which I predestinated in him. Hallelujah. So Paul could arrive at the end of the road and said, there's a crown laid up for me. And not only me, but for all those that love is appearing. Amen. There's something laid up for you if you'll just yield yourself and forget about being a prisoner to your own actions, your own flesh, your own abilities. Lay that all aside and say, Lord, I want to be a prisoner to what you have made me. Quicken it within me. Let me be that kind of a prisoner. Because you know you're a prisoner to it anyway. You won't get away from it. Moses couldn't get away from it. Think about Moses for a minute. You know, we read the Bible and we gloss over the surface of it and we say, Moses, mighty hand of God, deliverer, took, went down, sent the ten plagues into Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, smote the rock, brought manna from heaven, all of these great miracles. But before all of those things happened, Moses had a decent business and a nice family. He was there on the backside of the desert, having tried to succeed as a deliverer and failed. But now things are going pretty good for him. He's got a wife. He's got a couple of children. He's trying to raise them up in the business. He's got a sheep herding business. He's got a nice father-in-law that's a priest of Midian. And, you know, so they got their religious background all set. Everything's all wonderful. And they're just all kind of, you know, all working together. So let me ask you a question. So Moses, why would you leave all that to go down to Egypt To face opposition that's been unseen on the face of the earth. Why would you do it? Because it was in me. It wasn't Paul's human ambition. Or Moses' human ambition. It wasn't Moses' idea that I want to be a deliverer. No, when God came down and visited him in the burning bush. Moses says, I can't do it. I can't speak. I've forgotten everything I know. Please send somebody else. Surely there's someone else. But deep down on the inside, he knew it's me. There is nobody else. There is no one else to take this position. It's that predestinated seed gene that God has has molded and watched over his lineage and watched over his grandparents and watched over his upbringing and watched over his experiences to bring him to a place that he could become a prisoner to the attribute that is within him. So that God could bring the attribute out of the attribute. Hallelujah. His brother Brown says Moses, his intellectuals, he had to lose them in order to find Christ, to be a prisoner. When God got all the world beat out of him and all, and all the mighty man that he was, stand in the presence of the pillar of fire that day, he was found just speechless. He couldn't even talk. God had a prisoner then. 
See, God wasn't saying, oh, no, Moses, you've lost everything. No, Moses, you've lost everything to where your flesh will take you. But you can never lose the representation of the seed gene that lays within you. Hallelujah. You see, you could be a total failure in life. But there's a seed gene laying within you. Where God says, now are you ready to become a prisoner to what I made you in the beginning? Are you ready? Are you here this morning? Are you willing to be what God has made you instead of what your flesh and your culture and your education and everything else has made you? Because that's when God can express the preeminences, Brother Branham said. That's when God can bring out the true potentials and give you the true authority that you were meant to live with and bring you into the position that nothing will stand at your prayers because you are who God made you to be. Hello? That's what God's waiting for in his sons and daughters. Brother Brown says in three kinds of believers. I'm pressing through to the end now. He says sometimes believers put to the test. Not sometimes, every time. Every son that comes to God must be chastened, tried, child trained. Remember the trials, the dusty roads, the hot sun of persecution. But the loyalty in your heart, loyalty of your heart beats that material to she's ready to go into the mold. God's children is made up correctly on his word. For they are living examples and the word of God living through them. See, the trial comes to shake you. To put you to the very bottom to see where you will stand. And then Brother Branham goes to Job. He says, through the trials and the tests, his children taken, everything else, the church members accusing him. He says, but yet he wouldn't listen to any of it. He knowed he had met God's requirement. He knowed there's no need of Satan trying to tempt him. He knowed it was the devil. And as long as Satan can make him believe that his sickness was his God doing it, he had Job whipped. But when Job once struck the revelation that it's not God, that he's only going through his trials to make him something. There's the statement. You're only going through your trials to make you something. Something. What is that something? Something that God deposited within you. Something that God has to mold you and bring you to a place in your life. I thank God that we had a prophet that was so transparent in this hour. That would tell us about his life and tell us about his trials and tell us about his mistakes. Tell us about all the things he did wrong and, and how sometimes he, did, he, even, he even spoke wrong to God and all those kind of things. What's he doing? He's telling us about the molding so that the molding that you go through will not seem so unusual. But rather, God took his prophet, he, he birthed him, 
He brought them in through certain influences. In the beginning, there was Dr. Roy Davis, and that was a certain influence for a certain length of time. But then he had to leave there because he had advanced further than that. And then down the road, there became other influences like the Pentecostals and Mishawaka. But then he had to leave there because he had further advanced than that. And all the things that God was leading him through and trials and mistakes and visions and all of these kind of things. What was God doing? He was taking his prophet to a place where that which was was in him could come fully on display till he could look at the scriptures and say but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God would be made known revelation 10 and stand there and say not the healing lines not the prayer lines but the message that followed the prayer lines That there would be a word that would come forth. That's what was on the inside. It was a vessel that would bring forth the word to an age. That he would be like a wave sheep waved over the age. God saying this is how I lead my sons. And they're all unique. All of my sons, all of my daughters. I lead them uniquely. Take them through experiences in their life. Because there's something in each one individually that I must bring on display. That they can look back at the scripture and identify themselves there. I'm a part of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner to the predestinated attribute or Christ that lives in me. Amen. Not a prisoner to some Christ out here. Prisoner to this Christ. The anointed word that lives in the heart of the believer. I'm a prisoner. I can't be what you want me to be. I can only be what God made me to be. I can't, I can't do what you want me to do many times because I'm not made that way. I have to stay true to what God called me to be. And it won't please you many times. There'll be times that you'll be disappointed in me. I'll just talk about myself. But you can talk about each other the same way. You look at a husband, you look at a wife, you look at a father, you look at an uncle, you look at an aunt, you look at different things in the church, you look at a deacon, a trustee, a song leader, a musician, whatever it might be. There'll be times that it will personally disappoint you, but they can't help but be what they are. And there might be a time that it doesn't minister to you. And you might have a question saying, why are they doing it that way? You just pray for them and say, Lord... Help them to be all that you've made them to be. Help the preacher, Lord, to be the kind of preacher you want him to be. Help him in his study. Listen, we all pray. We all pray, Lord, take the preacher and take him beyond his notes. But I believe sometimes God gave me those notes. And I believe they have a purpose. That when I sweated it out in my office, as Brother John said, God spoke to me in my study today. Well, praise the Lord. If you're up here in the pulpit and God didn't speak to you in your study, you're in a rough shape. God speaks to every minister in their study. Or he better. And if he doesn't, you're in deep trouble. And so we make notes and all of those things. But it isn't to come to church to try and impress you with some kind of eloquence. But it's to to sincerely become a prisoner of what God made me to be. I can't be Brother John. I can't be Brother Tom. I can't be Brother Ed or Brother Murphy or any of these other brothers that are ministering. I can't do it. But I've learned one thing. In me is something unique. And if I can yield myself to that... 
I know that God will accomplish what he desired to accomplish. The Shunammite woman. Brother Murphy, I think, spoke on. I was really listening when he was speaking about her. She was a woman that I'll say it this way. She didn't know she needed to be a mother. She had no children. But she didn't really care about it at that point. She had probably given up on it. But along come a prophet of God. And he said, now Gehazi, go ask the woman. She's been so kind to me. Built this little room that I can... I can come and refresh myself every time I come by and rest if I want to. He says, now go ask her what she would like. Would she like that I would speak to the king for her? Would she like that I speak to the captain of the host for her? What, has she got some personal ambitions? And and Gehazi comes back and says, you know, uh, she says, I don't need anything. Yeah, I'm good. Just Just enjoy the room that we made for you. And the prophet looked at Gehazi and Gehazi said, But did you know she doesn't have any children? He said the right thing. And God showed his prophet. Thus saith the Lord. At this time next year you'll hold a son. Hallelujah. She didn't know she needed that. Then along comes, I don't know, he's eight or nine or ten or... Somewhere in there. And she didn't know she needed some evil to bring more out of her life. It was hard. The son goes out, gets sunstroke, comes back in, dies in his mother's lap. Saints, that's not easy. That's not easy. But she didn't know that laying in her was this faith. That she says, go, go get my husband. Tell him to saddle me a mule. Send me a servant. I'm going to go to where the prophet is. He says, how will you know? He's probably not even there. She says, it'll be well. And she gets on that mule. And she goes off to where the prophet is. Tells the servant, don't slack the reins. Unless I tell you to slow down, do not slow down. This is urgent. The message is urgent. And she just begins to go to where the prophet is. And she comes and the prophet, God begins to move on his heart. And he looks out and sees her coming. He says, go ask the woman. There's that woman. Go ask her. Is all well with you and your husband and your son? And she says, all is well. Why? Because she got to where the answer to the predestinated call was. There was something in her that God needed to bring out. Oh, couldn't he bring it any other way? No, he couldn't bring you to salvation unless there was a fall in the Garden of Eden. He couldn't bring you to know how great a healer he is unless you became sick. Amen. He couldn't let you know he's the God that heals all of your sicknesses and diseases. He couldn't let you know that in you, I have predestinated this evil is going to happen to you. But this evil I have determined for good. Because all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Because every tribulation has a purpose. Every evil has a purpose. Every trial has a purpose. Everything you go through has a purpose. Because there's a predestinated seed laying within the believer that must 
come into manifestation. That you must come as a prisoner too. Until you come to the realization in the midst of your sickness, God, you alone are my healer. In the midst of your sorrow, Lord, you alone are my comfort. You alone are my joy. Lord, you alone are the one that's bringing out of me the great victory in the midst of all of these trials. Hallelujah. The Shunammite woman didn't know she needed it, but she needed it to bring a true reflection of love in her life. It was God's love that was reflected in the Garden of Eden. And yet there's more that God wanted to do for us that could only be reflected because we're needy. So God had to allow that there in the Garden of Eden. Love is what God is. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on that. Love is the very expression of what he is. It's what his purpose is. It's what his makeup is. It's what the Lamb's book of life is. It's what your name is. Written on the Lamb's book of life. It's just another expression of God's love. Everything that you go through in life. And this is the hardest thing to get through. Get us above our human intellect. Lord, help us tonight. Everything that we go through in our life that maybe causes us to turn to God is for our good. Is to bring you. And sometimes it's a long road, mom and dad. Sometimes it's a long road that takes the young person all the way over somewhere. And you think, are they ever going to turn back to God? But I think of Sister Marilyn's son. It was a long road. But finally he came to realize, I'm a part of God. Amen. I'm a part of him and he's a part of me. Did he make mistakes in his life? You ask him. That's not for me to say. But yet in the midst of it all, God was the one that was in control. God honored the faith of a mother. God honored the faith of a father. But more than that, God honored that there was a predestinated seed within him that had to come fruition in this age. Because the body is not complete without that predestinated seed. Amen. There must be a declaration or a manifestation of all the attributes within the attributes. The expression of the essence of the attribute. That's why Brother Branham could look at his own ministry as we bring this to a close. Musicians can come and say, you know, he promised in this hour the seventh angel's message, the seven seals would be revealed. The mysteries of God would be declared when the seventh angel began to sound his message. And then he says, I already quoted it, but I, I wanted to read it to you. Not the healing service. The message that follows the healing service. Glory to God. What was it all about? It was all about a message. Getting a message to the bride of Jesus Christ. Will that message accomplish what it was sent to be? It can't fail. Because it's God's word. God's word will never fail. Men will try and inject their own ideas and slants into it. Without a doubt. But it will still accomplish what it was sent to do. It was meant to produce rapturing faith. It was meant to bring the church individually as individuals to the fullness of the measure of the stature of a perfect 
man. The fullness of the measure of Jesus Christ. It was meant to produce Christ in bride form. Not church form. Bride form. It's meant to bring your love up to a level with God's love. Not to bring God's love down to your level. But by God pouring in revelation into your life, bring you to a place that He wants you to be. I want to say this. Now we come right down to our address. If the musicians would just be patient for a moment. We make mistakes because we still have unredeemed bodies. As long as we have these bodies that contain a sinful element, we will make mistakes. We'll say things we shouldn't say, and then we'll repent of them. If we got the Holy Ghost in us. We'll do things that we shouldn't do, but it'll bring us to repentance immediately. We'll, we'll make decisions that are wrong because we don't know all things. We, we'll end up, but God will turn it all around. If we're, if we're in His permissive will, He won't turn the permissive will into the perfect will. That's not what Brother Branham said. But He will turn the permissive will to glorify the perfect will. So He will bring you out of that into His perfect will. But don't ever confuse your mistakes with being unlovable. Don't confuse your the imperfection of your flesh with being unlovable. We make mistakes and we think we're unlovable. That's what's wrong. It was unbelief that made us unlovable. Not our mistakes. But when we repented of our unbelief, that made us lovable again. All right? Even though God always loved us. Brother Branham says, if you love those just who love you, as we shook one another's hand, that's dearly beloved in the Lord, that's good. But can you love the unlovable? That's the thinking man's filter. That's the spirit of Christ in you. Loving those who don't love you. Then you have the reward of God. But now if you do it as a duty, you still haven't got the thinking man. And then he stops. He says, you're only up in the second cycle. But if from your heart you really love him, then you're breathing through the thinking man's filter and it satisfies a holy man's taste. That you know from your heart you forgive everybody everything. No matter what taken place. There's God's love. That's the level God wants to bring every believer. I have to stop here just a moment. Just give me a few minutes. It's only going to be just a few. This is the biggest problem. In all of our lives. Is forgiveness. And the thing that we battle the most. Is being able to forgive anybody. See, Brother John, it was interesting last Sunday night, he made a statement. I don't think that was just Brother John, I think it was Christ in Brother John that says, I want to apologize for what's happened to you. All right? 
Now, Brother John, the man cannot apologize for what somebody else did as a man. You see, but Jesus can. Because he took everybody's sins upon himself. So Jesus took your sins upon himself that you could become forgiven. But Jesus also took the sins of the one that did you wrong upon himself. And Jesus is the only one that can say to you, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. Because that's what he said on the cross. Father, they're not sinning against me. They're sinning against you. But forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what Moses was reflecting as he stood in the gap. And he said, Father, God, Jehovah, don't don't blot their names out. Blot my name out of the book. And let them find forgiveness. Brother Ram says he was for, he was he was projecting Christ there. What is Christ? Christ is the love of God projected. And so there he was projecting love that could say, forgive them and take me. And there was Jesus on the cross, forgive them and take me. But now go a step further. His love comes into the individual. And he's telling you now, forgive them. Because I've paid the price. As I've paid the price for your sin. And so as I've forgiven you, you also ought to forgive one another. Oh, that's deep and that's rich, but that's the love of God. Amen. Amen. That's God's love. Let's stand together. I want to take this to a, a place of personal experience tonight. I'm not talking to a church. I'm not talking out over the internet, though there might be people on the internet watching. I'm talking to you all individually. Because you're an individual that has individual battles. And you're an individual that has an individual crown. And that individual crown can only be obtained by you yourself. It's called a crown of life. And only by you going through the tribulation that God puts you through. Are you able to possess this crown? And I want you all to bow your heads. I'm going to read you one last quote, but I want your heads bowed for this one. Because Brother Branham actually begins to deal with the church here in 1956. And he says, says, I wonder if there's any of you here that's never accepted Christ. And say, now I put up my hand, I want to become a Christian. Then he says, God bless you. You say, "I I now want to receive Christ as my personal Savior. I want Him to be merciful to me. I certainly don't want to stand in the great white throne judgment knowing that I'm condemned now. What will I be then? When I'll have to depart into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I want to accept him now. And be gentle and meek all my life. That the Holy Spirit would talk to me in the cool of the evening. When I lay down on my pillow at night. I raise up my hands to him. And say, dear Heavenly Father, I so love you. And to hear his kind, tender voice talking back to you and say, child, I'm so in love with you. 
I'm glad that you accepted me. I want to, I wanted to love you so much when you were unlovable, but you wouldn't let me love you. But now you've made it right and I can love you and we can be friends together. Don't you want to hear God say that? He says, don't you want that? And while our heads are bowed, I'll just say it the way Brother Ram says, don't you, how many would raise their hand right now and say, Lord, that's what I want. I want to love you. I want you to love me. And I want to be that kind of a prisoner of that love. As you softly play, play um, Amazing Grace Shall Always Be. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see these hands. I wish I was a better preacher, Lord. You know that. But Lord, there's something about your word that moves us, oh God. You sent a message, a great message, an outstanding, illuminating message in this hour, oh God. That we could walk in the light of it. And we've spoken about your love. And Father, I admit, I feel like I missed the mark again. I feel like, Lord, there's much more there than I could express in the English language. But Lord, wouldn't you take what was expressed this morning and anoint it to the heart of every hearer? You see the hands that were raised this morning. As I read that quote... And how, Lord, we want everything in our lives to be right. Because we love you. And we want to hear those words back that you're in love with us, oh God. We just want to be in communion and fellowship with you, Father. Not of an earthly level, but, Lord, something that's much higher. That, Lord, when we go through trials, we can patiently endure them. When the devil comes against us, we can recognize it is nothing but the molding effect of your grace in our lives. To bring out of us what you have predestinated in us. Lord, take this morning's service. and In my halting way, may you just make it so real to your children. Of how much you care for them. And how much you put in them. And how you've sent a message that is so illuminating. To quicken that predestinated seed of life. That you have placed in them. To bring them to a crown. That only they can possess. For you have ordained it for them Lord. It's available. It's for all those that love your appearing. And we love your appearing oh God. We love you Lord with all of our hearts. Forgive us our shortcomings. Forgive us for allowing the flesh to direct us. Forgive us for allowing the natural potentials to override the spiritual potentials. Oh, Lord, let the love of your Holy Spirit flow over this congregation and take away every doubt and every fear. Lord, people going through trials, oh God, may you just raise them above the fear of it and let them walk in the light that this is for a purpose in my life. This is something that my God has ordained. Oh, Lord, drop that down into each and every heart, each and every life. Let us be what you've made us to be, a reflection of Jesus Christ in the fullness of it. We give ourselves to you afresh this morning. If there be any this morning that's a sinner, and say, Father, forgive me, but I repent of my sins, and I accept you as my Savior. Lord, may you come to them even now. 
Lord, may you manifest yourself to them as a Savior. You said you'd forgive them. If they'd ask forgiveness, you'd forgive them. And Lord, I believe there's many asking this morning. We give ourselves to you. We ask your blessing upon this service for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amazing grace shall always be my
I'm amazed that you love me. Are you amazed at his love this morning? I'm amazed. I've been amazed for weeks. Been amazed since God began to deal with me in India on this subject. I'll still go away amazed that I hardly touched it. I'm just amazed. It's the length and the breadth and the height and the width and all of it. It goes beyond human understanding. But what I understand really moves me. I'm amazed. Amen. I'm amazed. bless you. God richly bless you. May God just open revelation upon revelation upon your heart. Amen. Go your way this afternoon fellowshipping in the love of God. Shake hands with one another as you go. Service tonight at 5 o'clock. Brother John Andes will bring in the word tonight. We're looking forward to it. God bless you. The service is dismissed in Jesus.